Good evening and happy Monday and welcome to another episode of Awesome People. My name is Iman and it's a pleasure to spend a little bit of your evening with me during this quarantine of a, a historic part of the world that we're living in right now. Um, the special guest that I have tonight is a dear friend of mine who many of you who are watching probably already do know, but for anyone who has never been familiar to the laughs and the comedy of this talented man, let's start off with a little clip of tonight's guest. <laughs> oh man, it's good to be here. Let me hear the Persians, Persians in the house, Persians. Non-Persians, non-Persians. All right, that's right. You're surrounded, but it's all good. <laughs> it's funny, cause you know, it's funny, what's funny, nobody knows how many Persians or Middle Easterners in general there are in America. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Because uh, we don't answer census bureaus. <laughs> yeah, the range is from 300,000 to 3 million. That's a wide range. Because like, if a random person calls our house and starts asking questions, we're afraid the FBI is showing up next. <laughs> right? When the Census Bureau calls up, you know, hello, sir, how many people live in your household? We're like, uh, zero. <laughs> What's your income? Zero. How old are you? Zero. Where are you from? I don't know. Where are you from? <laughs> That's the other technique we have, is you answer a question with a question. Great technique. You guys, my American friends, use it. It works. Like last year, the president of Iran was doing an interview on 60 Minutes, and he used that technique. It was amazing. The interviewer asked him, he goes, so do you have a nuclear program? He goes, I don't know, do you have a nuclear program? <laughs> the reporter goes, everybody knows America has a nuclear program. He goes, does everybody know America has a nuclear program? <laughs> the guy got frustrated, he goes, okay, interview over. He goes, is this interview over? We're vague, that's how we are, because we don't want to be specific in any of our answers. Like ask a Middle Easterner what they do for a living. You'll never get a straight answer. Ask a Persian dude what he does for a living. Be like, hey, what do you do for a living? They'll be like, me? For a living? For the living me? For the living me? For a living what I do for a living me? Import, export. Like, what do you import export? This and that. <laughs> Where do you do it? Here and there. <laughs> Where are you from? Everywhere. I'm from everywhere. Where are you from, my friend? All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed those laughs and, you know, everything that he said in that comedy special three, four years ago or on one of the shows uh, is actually relevant to what we're going to talk about later today, which is the Iranian census. But it's time for me to welcome the man who really doesn't need an introduction. He's hilarious. He's got an amazing heart, man of the community. And uh, I have the honor of calling him a friend as well. Maz Jabrani, everybody. Maz, how are you, brother? Iman, I'm well, man. I got to tell you, Iman, you know, uh, I love you. And normally when I'm hanging out with you, 
We're talking, we're having conversations, but I don't get a chance ever to look you in the face the way I am right now. You <laughs> I'm sorry for that. <laughs> you have beautiful eyes, man. Oh man, you thank you so much, man. Be- I, I mean, I, I I knew you were good looking, but these my, eyes. My, my mom says it's from the milkman. I, I've yet to do all my full <laughs> research, but that's that's, that's a word around town. But uh, always go. a pleasure to go. talk to you, man. We've had we've had so many great moments uh, in the past ten years. But you're right; it's always been very quick, very in out, um, and so it's an honor to be able to spend a few minutes with you on a Monday evening. Thank you again for your time, man. The honor is all yours. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's right back at you, man. I love you. You know, you're one, you're one of the nicest people I know. And I'm happy you're doing this, man. It's, it's Thanks, If man. nothing else, this coronavirus has brought a lot of friends and old friends closer together because we're all so busy. This is making us all interact with each other. So it's nice to oh, have that. Oh, man. You know, like, and I'm sure you know more than anybody else, but life usually just goes whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And like for the first time, I feel like I'm on the shoulder and everybody else is actually going slow speed instead of like everything rush, rush. And uh, you're right. I mean, just having this awesome people show, like I finally get to catch up with my friends. The only difference is that I'm doing it online because I want my other friends to get to know some of the most awesome friends that I have the pleasure of knowing. So this is like really, really a treat for me. And I consider myself very, very lucky and grateful that I get to spend this crazy time doing this kind of stuff because I know the, the situation is very real out there and there's a lot of people that are going through some really, really difficult times. So hopefully by people looking at you, not in a bad way, but you know, watching you and hearing you, it brings some laughter, which was really my goal from the beginning is that I know what joy you bring to millions and millions of people around the world, especially Iranians. You're a jewel of our community. And I want to just, the, the people who only have seen you on stage to really see the same moz that I get to have a little sample of behind the scenes because you're honestly one of the most humble um, superstars that we have. And for that, I'm very grateful as well, man. Thank you for calling me a superstar. That's all I heard of that whole thing you just said. So <laughs> you're a good man, Iman. I got you, man. man. I'm going to Venmo you the money you requested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my man, like, why don't you just go ahead and just tell us a little bit more about where this passion and this desire for wanting to get on stage and making people happy uh, even even began? Like, where was the one moment, or was there a moment where this is my career, this is my love? You know, when I was a kid, uh, around the time I was around 10 years old, Eddie Murphy was huge. And I wanted to be like Eddie Murphy. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. This is why you were in Iran? No, no, I came came from Iran at the age of six to America. Grew up in Northern California and was uh, able to be familiar with Eddie Murphy. This was like 1980s, early 80s. So, um, Peak Eddie Murphy. Peak Eddie Murphy. It was even before Delirious. He had a, a, a tape. It wasn't even a, a video. It was a tape we would listen to. It was called Eddie Murphy Comedian. Wow. And yeah, so we would sit around with my friends and listen to it. And he, he made it to Saturday Night Live at the age of 19. And I wanted to get on Saturday Night Live even younger than that. Yeah. And back then, parents weren't the way we are now, which is we try to keep our kids off of video screens and all that stuff. Back then, I think parents were like, oh, TV here, go sit, leave us alone. <laughs> right. So I had a TV. I used to watch Saturday Night Live. I used to watch all kinds of stuff. And um, I just, uh, you know, I fell in love with that idea of, of being funny and all that. And, and then um, when I was uh, in junior high school, there was a musical. And I said, let me go audition for it. And I went and audition and I got in. And I was one of the background singers and dancers, and it was called The Boyfriend. And um, yeah, when I was there, one day there was a, a, I was sick, and I still went to rehearsal. 
And the director had told us, listen, whenever you guys are on stage doing uh, singing and dancing, you need to always be smiling. It's a musical. Always be smiling. So even though I was sick, I was there, I was doing it, and I was smiling. And so she just stopped the whole rehearsal. She goes, everybody stop. Everybody stop. She goes, look at him. Look at him. He's sick. He came, and he's smiling. You should all learn from him. And I was like, whoa, I'm pretty good at this. And that was like a, the first time I had somebody give me that feedback. And having immigrant parents, you know, my parents would come to the shows, and this director and other directors would always tell them, hey, you know, he's got what it takes to, to have a career in this. And my parents would be like, oh, thank you. And then in the car, my dad would be like, that bitch is crazy. <laughs> so, you know, I had that pushback from my immigrant parents. But eventually, when I was in my mid-20s, I decided to go for it. And I've been doing it since. So it's very interesting that you say Eddie Murphy. So would you consider <clears> him <throat> as like your all-time favorite comedian? Like, is that your idol? Is that your Michael Jordan? Absolutely. When I first started Eddie Murphy and then, uh, I'm sorry, before I started it was Eddie Murphy. Once I got started, I also <clears throat> got more into Richard Pryor, who I loved before, but I loved even more later because he was doing a lot of social and political stuff. And yeah, I kind of lean into that now as well. So, um, yeah. So, my, so my, my question is this, especially Eddie Murphy. I mean, he was groundbreaking, especially in the 80s, a lot because of his foul mouth. I mean, like at that time, he cut with raw. I mean, he took a poop on on Bill Cosby and uh you know like I mean he made a lot of noise but yet your comedy is not at all as you know uh rated r-rated as that so how, yeah did you, ever, did you ever want to go down that route because like if I wanted to be like Michael Jordan and I'm Kobe Bryant like you can see the similarity uh, you know but yeah. like in your in your case did you have to pull back because of your ironity Iranianess I think you find your voice as you go. You realize how much you want to cuss. I still will cuss from time to time, but not nearly as much as Eddie Murphy would. Mm -hmm. I don't talk about sexual stuff on stage at all. So it's just, it's kind of who you are. You find your voice. And so yeah. even though you're inspired by something like that, like maybe with my act outs and the voices I try to do and the, and the energy I bring to stage might be closer to what I took from him, but I didn't mm. necessarily take his style of, uh, uh, language, right? Know? So yeah, you find have you, your way. Have you have you have you have you met your idol? I mean, yeah. Well, I didn't meet him. One time, I was doing stand up at the comedy store. I wrote about this in my book. Um, I was doing stand up at the comedy store, and Eddie had been coming around. The comedy store in LA has three rooms, mm -hmm. and the main room is the big room, and then there's the original room, and then there's the belly room. So the original room is where we as comedians will work out during the week, and on a Tuesday night. Maybe like, like eight, nine years ago, the main room used to be a special show. It was like black comedy night. So they would pack it with like black comedians and a lot of black celebrities would come through. And it was a Tuesday night. So Eddie had been coming and watching a lot. And so mm. for whatever reason, this one night he came to the main room and was watching and he decided to come into the original room, which is the room that we work out in. And unbeknownst to me, he was sitting in the back watching when I was on stage. Now, the problem was... I had just come back from a tour in Australia and um, I had been used to doing one hour long shows where I was the headliner and you build your set in a specific way. Mm -hmm. But when you do your 15 minute sets in town in LA at the original room, those are workout sets. So you're not really doing your best. You're trying out some new material and also coming off of an hour to do 15 minutes. It's very start, stop, Herky jerky. So mm. I was having an okay set. And it's funny because in the middle of my set, I thought to myself, you know, 
get serious and do better because you never know who's going to be in the audience. Oh, wow. You had an intuition. <laughs> I had an intuition. But at the same time, I also thought to myself, you know, I've been at the comedy store at that point for like 10 years. And I go, I've never worried about that because that's the beauty of the comedy store. Mitzi Shore, the owner of the comedy store, the founder, she used to put in the original room, she would put all these lights in your eyes and blind you and make the room dark. So you couldn't see who's in the room. Mm. So you didn't feel self-conscious. You just got to be an artist and try stuff. So I reminded myself quickly, who cares who's in the audience? Just do mm. you, right? And uh, I went ahead and finished off and it was kind of a mediocre set. And as soon as I came off, there was this guy who used to hang out at the club all the time and get drunk. His name was Johnny. <laughs> and, and Johnny was like sitting there and he like grabbed my arm and said, hey man, Eddie's here. And I thought he was trying to tell me that Eddie Murphy is in the main room. I was like, oh, great. He's like, yeah, he's here. And I looked up and Eddie Murphy was sitting in the back of the room. You couldn't see him because the room is dark. And yeah. I had to walk past him. I was like, oh, no. And I walked past him. And then he got up after me and like left the room down the same set of stairs. And I kind of looked at him hoping he would say something. But he kind of turned his yeah. head and kept walking. I was like, oh, oh man. Oh, man. That's so I think I bombed in front of my that's hero. As, that's as close. But he was there. He was there. Yeah, that's all yeah, that matters. Yeah, so yeah. obviously, uh, I think a lot of people uh, know that, you know, the, the route to a comedian really making it is, is an adventurous one. It's a long one. Um, was there a defining moment in your career where you're like, man, I'm really glad that I grinded all these years. I'm glad that I didn't quit because like, you kind of just had that moment. Was there a certain moment that you're like, shit, man. I Listen, for, me, made it. for me, it was this thing where I had to fight my parents so much to get to the point mentally where I felt okay even going for it in the first place. Yeah. You know, I was in my mid-20s and my parents had wanted me to be a lawyer or a doctor and I had started a graduate You're kidding school. me as an Iranian? I know. Who they, they never have these expectations. Yeah, but I've I started never a experienced that. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I started graduate school in political science and I was going to be a political science professor. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I dropped out of that to go and try to pursue acting again. And my mom was freaking out and everybody was like, all freaked out. And so I think I had so much pushback that when I decided to do this in my mid twenties, um, that was the moment that I felt successful. Cause I was like, I realized you live yeah. your life once and you got to live for yourself. You can't live for your parents. If you really have yeah. a passion, you really want to go for it, right. then go for it. And the rest falls into place. Now, once I got going, that was success. Now, after that, there's been plenty of times where I've been like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, you know, I got a chance to go to the White House and and give a speech and perform there and introduce Michelle Obama. I got to give I the remember commencement. No, no, yeah, ruse. no ruse. I gave the commencement speech at my UC Berkeley in front of 45,000 people. I, uh, you know, I've been in different movies. I've had my Netflix special at the Kennedy Center. So, yeah. yes, there's been plenty of moments where I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. But it's I haven't really like thought oh this I made it or or oh this is it or like I was always on the road to this I've always thought of it as as oh that's amazing that I'm doing this and I'm gonna appreciate this moment and take this in yeah. but I'm just gonna keep working and keep moving so for example in all the moments that you have was is there is there is there still one moment that is left for you to put up on the rafters as part of like your your bucket list as a as a as a career Listen, I don't I, I really don't think of it like that. You know, it is good. When I first started out, I used to write my goals on a piece of paper and keep it in my wallet. It's good to have goals and it's good to have goals that you can achieve that are short term goals and maybe a few long term goals that are kind of like 
big dream goals, right? Um, but I don't necessarily feel like if that doesn't happen, then I'm going to be miserable. But I do mm -hmm. like, for example, if you ask me, what would you like to do? I would love to star in my own TV show. Um, I would love to have my own production company and produce uh, other uh, comedians and writers and people that I know that are talented. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting enough with the coronavirus, it feels like people are creating their own shows. And so, Left you know, right. yeah, like even for me, like every day I get on Instagram at four or five in the afternoon, do an Instagram live. And it's just me reporting on my day. I sing a little bit. I dance a little bit. I jump up and down. And people seem to be liking it. And I keep joking. I'm like, I've been trying to get a show for 20 years. And now that the coronavirus <laughs> is on, I got my it's, own stupid show. Yeah, no, of course. And you have also the Going Back to School podcast that you started like, what, like eight, nine months ago, right? Yeah, Back to School podcast started April of last year with uh, our buddy Tehran and yeah. um, this girl, Caitlin. And, and the idea there was that my kids had kept asking me questions that I didn't know answers to. So I thought rather than Googling it, why don't I bring on experts and have them teach us. So it's called Back to School with Maz Jobrani. We drop an episode every Tuesday. Yeah. People can watch all the old episodes on iTunes, uh, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get them. So, you know, you just make your own opportunities and you keep going. Look at you. You're, you're doing it yeah. too. I know. You know. No, of course. I mean, like, it's, it's definitely, it's, it, expired, it, it expedited things that people have been wanting to do for a long time, you know, like anything that's been sitting in the back burner and like you would say, I'll get to it when I can. Right now, there's no excuse. So if you're not doing yeah. that, that means that you're just lazy. So get your yeah. shit together, you know? Yeah, but, uh, but no, man, I mean, your episode is great. Tehran is not so much, but you're great as always. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I mean, it's good to have a sidekick, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, but here's my question, especially you're now a parent and you have you have Dara and Mila, 11 and 9. Hi to Peter, by the way, she's a sweetheart. Um, you're now a parent and you, you were talking about the struggle, the butting of the heads as you were going into the comedic world. What advice do you have for parents, especially for Iranian American parents? Uh, because now you're in the shoes of where your parents were and you have 11, nine year old that in the next few years, they're going to start telling daddy, daddy, this is what I want to do. What, how are you uh, encouraging your kids to do what is in their passion? Well, you know, first of all, I just tell them to try and find a passion. And it's funny because sometimes that backfires. They're so young. My son, Dara, the 11 year old, a, a little while back, maybe a year ago or so, he was walking. He's like, oh, I feel like I'm just not doing what I need to be doing. I go, Why not? He goes, I haven't found my passion. Oh, no. I go, buddy, no, no, no. I go, don't worry about it. You're 10 years old at the time. I go, you got time. And, and yeah. I just keep telling them, I go, find what you love doing, you know? Yeah. Um, it really is. And, and as parents, I say, support your kids if they find what they love doing, you know? And the other thing I try to encourage parents about nowadays is to not micromanage their kids. I think we micromanage our kids a lot. And from, from the time they're little to the time they get going, don't touch this, don't do that, don't do this. And I go, let them fail, let them learn. So right. those are big challenges in this world that we live in right now. Everyone's very hyper, uh, par you know, helicopter parenting. But those are two big things that I would tell parents. Do you, do you, do you think that... Um, do you think that like your kids have a lot of pressure to figuring out what their life passion is going to be because their father is such a well-known figure? And how do you how do you combat that? I would, kids, I would kids hope, already have pressure, you know, on social media. Yeah, so. yeah. I would hope not. I think I think that I try as much as I can to just tell them nothing matters. You know, nothing matters. Your grades. You know, you're gonna you're gonna fail. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna mess up. Don't worry about it. In the bigger picture, it's going to be fine. We all fail. The biggest success is a fail. Don't worry about that stuff. Enjoy 
the beauty of life, enjoy the moments, you know? So I just try to tell them that. And if you don't have your passion, that's fine. Like just, just be a good person. And that's really the first thing. And then the rest, if, if, if you're lucky enough to find your passion, then go for it. And maybe you'll be successful and maybe you won't. I think you're successful. If you find a passion, you just go for it. I mean, you know, if you're playing in a band at the local bar and you love playing music, fantastic, you know, yeah. just do it. That's great. Uh, do you, do you, um, <clears throat> Because both of them, the the the, the one time, especially Caesar with that we hung out, they both seem to be very extroverted, a lot of energy, a lot of personality. Do you see either of them following your footsteps? Have you seen any signs of that happening? Well, they both love Saturday Night Live, so they watch it pretty <laughs> religiously. Yeah, and they've kind of grown up in the uh, in the comedy clubs and stuff, so they know a lot of comedians. And yeah, you know, I did an event recently, and Dara was there with me, and there was a moment where we had to auction off items, and in auctioning off items. I try to be funny and I brought him and my nephew up on stage and he grabbed the mic from me and he started running the auction. And I was very he took off. pleasantly surprised. <laughs> he was so good at it. I was like, wow, he's killing it. And then, um, and then Mila too. Mila is very creative. They're both very creative. They like to write stuff. And yeah. I don't know, I, I, I actually encourage them. I go, you can be the person who creates things, whether that's as a writer, a composer, a musician, yeah. an artist, an architect, whatever it is. I go, if you can create, it will help you at least be in control of having things to do as opposed to being the person waiting to be hired, right. be the person who's creating that. Yeah, you, everything is in your mind and your head, you know, and that's, that, that'll bring value to the world and bring happiness to them, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna go into playing a clip of the hilarious movie that you, I know you spent a lot of time, energy and effort to promote and create, um, you know, there was a GoFundMe for it, you know, you really, you really wanted to make sure you get the support of the whole community. And from what I could tell, you got it. And that was uh, Jimmy Westwood, American Hero. So um, it's, you know, you've, you've done a wide range of stuff in comedy and, and entertainment. Uh, I wanted to make sure we played this clip and then we'll talk about that and the rest of your career will come back. Great, thank you. Jesus Christ. Hello, Akbar! Everybody can breathe! Let's roll! Ow! Watch the nose! Okay, Mr. Jamshit. Jamshid. Jamshit. Jamshid. Shit. Shid. Shit. 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 Just call me Jimmy. Okay, Jim. And your last name is? Fuck the in the pool. Fakhreddin pool. Fuck the in the pool. Fakhreddin pool. Fuck the in the pool. Look, you need to do something about those names, okay? It's a little crazy. So where will you be staying, Jimmy? Oh, um, my cousin Leila has uh, procured an apartment for us next to her in Westwood. <laughs> you mean Westwood, Jimmy? Westwood. 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 World. Whoa, whoa, whoa. World Wide Web. World Wide Web. Rabbit. Vascally Babette. <laughs> the Wild Wild West. <laughs> the Wild Wild West. Okay, you know what? Forget that. Um, okay, what's your occupation? Oh, no, sir. We are not here to occupy you. We only come in peace. 
Yeah, my first and only feature. Uh, I wrote it with my friend Amir Ohebsian, and we produced it with him and uh, my manager, uh, Ray Mohit. And, you know, it started out with an idea where my buddy Amir had written a play, and I played this character. And the character was this guy named Jamshid, who's an Iranian guy who tells everyone to call him Jimmy. And we felt like that this character was larger than life, so we thought, let's do something with him. So being fans of the original Pink Panther with Peter Sellers, we decided to try and we decided to try and do a uh, like a Persian Pink Panther, basically, like a bumbling idiot who saves the day. And I'll tell you, we rewrote that thing for years and years and years. And then I think in 2012, we did an Indiegogo fundraiser and some people stepped up and they helped us raise the funds and we made a little bit of money out of it. And we took that money and we made a movie out of it. And uh, it was it was a very, very um, good feeling. It was like it was successful, you know, in that like it, it the truth is it never made its money back. Yeah. But it was successful in that we made this project and got it out there. And, yeah. and it still has a life. People still once in a while on Instagram or on social media will hit me up and be like, oh, what is this? I want to find it. So still out there. It's on I, iTunes. I mean, it's on it, it Amazon. Really, People can it, find it. It really was a good quality comedy. I mean, it was well written. It was well acted. So many superstars on there, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, listen, man. It, I, I know that it's just a silly comedy. If people are in a mood for silly comedy, Jimmy yeah. Westwood, American Hero, check it out. Don't be judgmental. It, I know it's not a but, perfect movie, but no, it's but, silly. But would you, would you consider doing a part two? Yeah, we've talked about doing a part two, and uh, hopefully we'll get to that at some point. I've been so busy with other projects that I, yeah. I we haven't really... Um, sat down to write it but it would be i would love to do another one so one of the people that you had in there do a guest appearance was actually bita bita milanian right she yeah. was stewardess i believe if i yeah, recall yeah. correct yeah. um and i had her as a guest earlier today and i i mean uh, earlier this week and you know we talked about the iranian census and you know it's how important it is and i know you're one of the ambassadors for this um tell, tell me why it's so important for us to iranian americans to do what we got to do well, I think it's important for everybody to fill out the census. You know, you get it in the envelope and you're like, ah, whatever, I get to it, I get to it. Now they've made it easier. You actually can go online and it takes no more than 10 minutes to fill it out. If you're yeah. Iranian, we say you should input under the other, you just write Iranian. Uh, if you're of another descent, Middle Eastern descent, write that nationality in there because we want to be able to be counted. We want to be able to become uh, minorities get minority status because a lot comes with it. There's a lot of money the federal government gives to different communities based on the number of people from that community living somewhere. So there's right. whether it's like, you know, stuff in the hospital, like hospitals will have translators who speak the language of the people who are that minority. So there's a lot of benefits. Mm -hmm. And I know some people are hesitant because either they're lazy or they think, oh, the government's going to find out my information. Well, the government already knows your information. It's yeah. Late. Yeah. You know, this is a way to be counted so that, you know, in the future, let's say somebody does something politically that is against the Iranian American community or against whatever community you're part of. If you're able to turn around and say, look, the census showed that we have a million people from this background or we have two million people from this background, it's more likely that the, that uh, politicians will listen to you. It's more likely you'll have influence. It carries so, away. Yeah. So I think it's important for people to fill it out. And they can go to iraniansCount.org. Uh, I've done it for my whole family. It's just one per household. It really just takes a few minutes. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of your contribution to this whole campaign because, you know, it's, I think it's a very important thing that 
all Iranian Americans. But yeah, you're right. Everybody should be doing because it's helpful to just know where we stand as a country, you know? Um, Absolutely. And so uh, another great thing that you did a couple yesterday, actually, that I wanted to make sure that I use this valuable time with you to um, help spread the word is that there is a, a, there's a friend of a friend, I believe. Her name is Sogol, who's, who's, who's suffering from AML and she's looking for a bone marrow match. Could you speak on that, please? Yeah, you know, I'm part of an organization called the Persian American Cancer Institute. It was started by a lady named Huri Sadler. Huri Sadler. Um, and Mrs. Sadler is an amazing person, and she's helped a lot of Iranians who had uh, um, cancer or issues with cancer. And um, in the past, we've done stuff where we encourage people to sign up on the bone marrow registry. So the bone marrow registry in America is under bethematch.org, bethematch.org. And it's really simple. You go on there, you send them your information, they send you a cotton swab, you swab inside your mouth, you put it in the envelope, you send it back. Very easy. If you match someone who needs your blood, they'll call you up or they'll send you a letter. They say you've matched. You get a chance then to go to the hospital. You draw blood. It's no pain. You draw the blood and then they give it to this person and you basically end up saving a life. So it's amazing. So I myself am signed up on the, uh, on the bone marrow registry. It's something, again, that everybody should do. And uh, a few days ago, there's someone who I've met on Instagram. There's a girl out of um, uh, Iran who helps rescue dogs out of Iran. So I'd helped her publicize that in the past. And she reached out. She said, listen, my cousin Sogol is at MD Anderson in Houston. And she has uh, cancer and she needs a bone marrow match or she might die in six months. So I put her on my page saying, hey, guys, just go and, and, and register. And that doesn't mean you're going to be a match. That doesn't mean you're going to have to you know, do it now. But if you match and you're lucky enough to match, they'll contact yeah. you and they'll say, come down, send us your blood, and uh, you can save a life. So I, I highly, again, recommend people go to bethematch.org and yeah. do that. And I actually, I, on Instagram is also be the match. And I actually went over there and I realized it, it said that I was already registered. So mm -hmm. I, apparently a few years ago I had done it. Uh, and so at the very least, I, I hope that if you're watching this video, take a moment, uh, you know, put yourself in the registrar. Uh, I, don't, I, I consider it one of the greatest honors to be able to be responsible for saving of a life. And so if you feel the same way, please um, go, go to be the match and hopefully... Um, Sogol, who, who shares the same name as my sister, uh, she gets the, the bone marrow that she needs and she can live a happy and long life. So thank you for doing that, Maz. And, you know, that kind of takes me to wanting to talk about you and your character. Um, for as long as I've known you, you've always uh, been uh, very, um, the word is accessible. You've always been very like, you, you just don't say no to people, which is very hard nowadays, especially the bigger that you get. There's more people that are requesting things. Um, yet you've been able to manage this, this humility. And I'm just wondering, wh where did this humility come from? Was it uh, you know, passed down from a certain family member um, that you just kept on being so grounded? You know, I always say, I mean, I, I don't think that it's anything exceptional to just be the, be the way I am. And it's just, I think that we're lucky in many ways. I always count my blessings. You know, we live in a great country. We were able to make a living doing what we love doing. Um, there are people who are digging ditches. There are people who are stuck in war-torn places. And, and, and there's people who are doing, you know, now trying to discover the, the cure for coronavirus. There's people doing huge, huge things. 
so who am I as a comedian to ever think that, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, put a, basically, basically I'm, I'm going to believe my own hype. Like I mm -hmm. would say, never believe the hype and never believe the criticism, by the way, because mm -hmm. you just know you're good because you've done what you do and you fall, and you fall in that moment, uh, middle, basically, you just keep going. And yeah. so, listen, when people reach out, if I have time to give, I do. Um, it does become a situation when you have family and kids to start. You do have to start saying no certain times because people will reach out and say, we got this charity. We have that charity. I have this interview. I have that interview. And you go, oh, my God, I don't have time for my kids. I don't have time for my exercise. I don't have time for the things that I need to do for myself. So you yeah. do learn along the way to say no. But I never say it like in a way of saying, oh, I'm better than you. I would never do this and this. It's more like, listen, I just don't have the time. Right. Um, so other than that, yeah, I try as much as I can. If I can be there to, you know, be a part of something that helps put a smile on someone's face, then I'm in. That's awesome. And we were supposed to do that co-host or work with you on the Mahak Gala on May 30th in DC. Obviously that was postponed. Uh, yeah. ho hopefully the, the wonderful crew that's responsible for that will be able to do it down the road so we get to give the people in DC a good show. Um, how, how has this impacted you as a comedian, you as an entertainer? I mean, how, how are you like dealing with this stuff right now? Well, you know, first of all, live touring is, is done right now. So all my dates have been pushed to late summer and early fall. Fingers crossed that by then things are a little bit back more to normal and we can go back on and, and do live performing. I think a lot of people are going to want to laugh. Um, yeah. So that's the hope there. Um, again, I, because I'm a comedian and I, and I want to express myself daily, I've been doing the daily Instagram lives and in all honesty, it's just as much for the audience as it is for me. Like I do it around four or five in the afternoon and I have people that are tuning in from Iran to, uh, you know, Israel, to South America, to you name it all over the world because of Instagram and they're getting on there. And it's fun. I just, I just spent like 10 minutes ranting about what's been going on in my day. And I try to get funny and then I play music and it's all very low produced. It's just me playing it and doing it. Yeah. And when I'm done, I'm always very, I feel good. I feel like I got it off my chest. Um, so that's how I've been getting rid of my uh, creative juices is do you, just doing do you, that. Do you, do you feel that you've been connecting more with your fans now as a result of this? Definitely, because, you know, we're all home all day long. So there's a moment where I'll tell my wife, I'm like, I'm going to work. And I just go upstairs into this room. <laughs> you know, so definitely a lot more connecting with the fans now that this has been going on. How, how do you, one question that I, I'm always curious about when it comes to comedians is how do you handle pretty much having to be the happy-go-lucky funny guy in every single room that you walk into, like, does it get exhausting? Do you ever want to go into a room and just be like, God dang it, can I just be the regular guy? Because like, I feel like every sentence that you have with somebody, there's like an expectation of like, he's going to say something funny, ha ha ha. Does that get tiring as a comedian? I, I try not to fall into that. Like if I'm at an event or a party and someone goes, oh, he's a comedian, tell a joke. I'll be like, what do you do? You're, you're an accountant? Do some accounting, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't fall for it because the fact is I'm a pretty yeah. chill guy. You know, if I'm in a good mood, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be with you. But if I might be mellow, mellow. And so um, yeah, I, I don't take that pressure. You know, sometimes people say, tell a joke. I go, I honestly don't have oh, jokes. Oh, God, that would like, be the worst know. thing. I, I, I would hate to hear that. Well, I do stand up. I don't tell jokes, you know, so that's different. Yeah. So uh, pretty quickly, I learned not to pressure myself to do that. So uh, I'm pretty comfortable with that. And I'm pretty comfortable telling people. It's like, it's like nowadays... 
as I've gotten older, sometimes I'll be at a bar after a show and I'll run into a group of younger people. They'd be like, come have a shot with us. And I'm like, look, dude, I don't take shots. I'm, I'm old. I'm 48. I'll <laughs> sip it, pour it in a glass, put some ice in there. I'll sip it. But I don't take shots. If, if things didn't work out the way that it did and he didn't become Mark Gibrani, the actor and comedian, what do you think you would have done knowing your drive? Well, I was in the world of getting my PhD in poli sci, so I could have been a political science professor. Did you like it, though? I mean, I know you weren't yeah, good I, for that, but you, did, you, did you have a passion? Is that, is that your second passion? Well, no, I mean, I, I liked it in that I liked being – I still like the topics. I still watch the news. I still talk about politics all the time. So I could imagine be, teaching, you know, why not? You know, but, uh, but, but I, if I – You would definitely you know, rate high in the online teacher ratings if you were yes, a teacher. I'll tell yes. you that way. There, there you There'll be go. some 5.0s in that one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so you mentioned politics and, and how you love teaching. And obviously, a lot of your comedy integrates, um, you know, current affairs. And uh, needless to say, in the last couple of years, you've taken multiple jabs at Trump. How, how has you, um, you know, talking, talking so much about Trump um, affected your career, either positively or negatively, in your opinion? Because I'm sure you knew that you were taking some risks by doing that. You know, I just talk about what's on my mind. It's all my opinion. And there's actually a lot of people in our community who actually like Trump. So I get a lot of pushback, even from my own friends. I've been on a WhatsApp chain the past few days arguing with friends. I just don't like Trump as a human being. I think he's a bad human being. And I don't agree with a lot of his policies. Now, I try not to get on stage and rant about it, because if you just rant and there's no punchline and joke, then if people get upset, they are right to get upset because they're like, you're not even telling jokes. But if you have mm. jokes, if you have punchlines, then that's what it is. And there I am. I'm going to do jokes about Trump. I'm going to do jokes about a lot of stuff. But this is America. We're supposed to make fun of our leader. And there's a lot of times when people have said, you shouldn't make fun of our president. I go, that's the whole point of this country. You know, you can't make fun of the president in Iran. The point of America is make fun of your president, especially when your president yeah. won't shut up and keeps talking and like, won't let yeah. the experts talk and, and has this ego and all that. Like, I believe in punching up. I believe in criticizing people that are in power. So like that's that. part of what I do. That's guys like George Carlin used to do. And I love uh, uh, one of the greatest. Richard, yeah. Richard Pryor to this day, John Stewart and, 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 and uh, John Oliver and Stephen Colbert do it and Trevor Noah. So I'm, I'm of that mind that we should, we should continue because, you know, hopefully at some point people, through comedy might have an open mind to it and go, Oh wow, he is kind of a jackass, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I am. And, 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 you know, I don't know what's going to happen down the line. And, and I'm just hoping that people, we get through this and people we, we have, we get through this with the least amount of uh, collateral casualties. Damage. Yeah. Collateral yeah. damage as possible. And Absolutely. then, and then the elections will happen and we'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, what I've always admired about your, your type of comedy is that a lot of times you get into the crowd and you, you know, ask where the different nationalities are. And even though you tease all of them, at the end, you, you huddle them back around and, and then we all become one, you know. And that's, that's one, of the, one of the things I definitely admire uh, out of your sets and the style of comedy that you do is that, you know, the, you, you kind of make fun of everybody equally, you know, like you hate everybody equally. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's not that I hate anybody. That's not hate. I, I, yeah, I would, I would say different. Like, I, I actually try to, like, you know, people watch my immigrant uh, special on Netflix called Immigrant. Yeah. You know, I think part of it is, like, I'm an immigrant. I do self-deprecating jokes. I talk about myself. I talk about my family. 
So now we come to the audience and let's laugh together. Let's laugh, together. Let's laugh with each other, not at each other. And I think in a way, it's important now to do that. And so I think when people come to my shows, and I'm curious, who's in the audience? Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? And um, yeah, I think, I think laughter can help bring people together. If we're in a room laughing together, it's a lot harder to hate each other, you know? Yeah, I love it, man. Well, so um, we're going to go to a little promo, uh, excuse me, commercial, and then we're going to do rapid fire. So we're going to have a little bit of fun with that. So thank you so much for your time so far. Stick around. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the promo, and we'll see you in about two minutes. All right. So we're back with uh, Mod Jabrani, and this is a fun part of the show that I like to have with guests. It is rapid fire. Uh, Mod, it's very simple. If you don't answer the question within the first five seconds, we're going to go to the next one. So the idea is to kind of get you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. Got it. Pretty standard stuff. Are you ready? Ready. All right. So first, uh, your favorite city outside of Los Angeles. New York. Oh, that's what Bita said, actually, too. Uh <laughs> Climbing a mountain or jumping out of a plane? Climb that mountain. Have you done it? I mean, I go hiking, but I've never done Kilimanjaro or nothing. <laughs> All right. Um, I, and by the way, I just know I don't want to jump out of a plane, so I'll climb you know, I did. I did that. I did that one time, and it was exhilarating, but you can be damn sure I would never do it again. Okay. So, All right. Uh, it is pretty incredible. The favorite venue you've ever performed at? Uh, Kennedy Center. Oh, I think I was at that show, actually. Um, what is something you could eat for a week straight? Corazzi. Your favorite um, talk show host? Stephen Colbert. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, Besides your, you, of course. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Your favorite up-and-coming Iranian artist, um, uh, comedian, excuse me. Favorite upcoming comedian would be Tehran. I mean, he's my he's my guy. You know, we right. tour together. <laughs> he's definitely funny. I mean, Tehran. Honestly, I'm extremely proud of what he's been doing, man. I mean, he's been he's been hustling super super hard, and yeah. it's I, I I really appreciate how much you've supported him on his path too, and vice versa. Like, it's a great brotherhood that you guys have from comedians. Yeah. Um, 
let's see. I, I want to skip that one question. Uh, when was the last time that you stayed up past four in the morning? Ooh, last time past four in the morning. I have no idea. That's I'm, I'm a parent now, man. So we don't do that. <laughs> All right. Four in the morning. Hold on. Now that really made me curious. When was the last time I stayed up past four in the morning? God, even when I'm on the road. <laughs> you're you're done I, by 10 or 11. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can cheat and say that because I travel, I did shows in, um, in the Middle East. And usually when I do shows in the Middle East, there's times where I'll stay up and keep L.A. time. Right. So I was up four in the morning their time. So oh, yeah. say that. as as I say in Farsi, Kabulnis, you know, like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What what is this is no longer rapid fire, but my mm -hmm. my question for you is: What country do you love to perform outside of the U.S.? Like that you actually look forward to because there's something about that energy and crowd. Sweden. Why is that? Uh, I found Stockholm to be one of the more cosmopolitan places. Very smart. Um, and uh, even the other cities. I mean, all over Scandinavia when I did shows, they were really good crowds. So Sweden, Australia was amazing. I mean, everywhere I've gone has been amazing. But if you had to really make me pick, I'd start with Sweden. If uh, you know, there, there's a there's quite a few um, up and coming Iranian American comedians. But I think you would agree that overall, there's there's not that many of them. Um, do do you do you? Do, do you think it's just because of our culture that there's not that many more or is it just that hard to become a comedian and that's what it is? I think it takes time. I think the first generation of any immigrant culture uh, uh, country that comes to America, the parents set up shop, they make their money, they do whatever it is that they need to do and they want their kids to go and be doctors, lawyers and whatever. Mm -hmm. it takes that next generation of kids to go, oh, I don't have to be a lawyer, doctor. I can be an entertainer. I could be a DJ. I could be a comedian. I could be all this stuff. So I, in a way, was part of the first group that realized I don't have to be. As a matter of fact, I'm an anomaly in a way because a lot of my friends are lawyers and doctors. Mm -hmm. But when I started, the only other one that I knew was uh, Omid Jalili from England. And yeah. uh, he and I started around the same time. Uh, but then as the years go by and as we see each other, other guys come on board. You get a Maximini, you get Peter the Persian, you get Amir K, you get Tehran, you get Kayvon, you get all these people coming on and on and on. So it takes time, but I think we're seeing more and more. I think that we're seeing more and more Iranian Americans getting involved in TV and film uh, and realizing that they could make a career and express themselves artistically. And I think that's a beautiful thing. If there's a, if there's a young Iranian American, both male and female, that is, you know, teenage years where they, they, they in their rooms, in their homes, they know that this is what they want to do. What advice do you have for them, knowing what you know now? I would say try and get on stage as much as you can and write as much as you can. You know, when Dave Chappelle was 14 years old, I think his mom used to take him to open mic nights and he would get on stage at the age of 14, wow. do stand up and then go home. Eddie Murphy started at the age of 15, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So... Even when you're young, you can find time to go do it. So get started as soon as you can and get on stage as much as you can. You got to really, once you can balance out your schoolwork with your passion for comedy, you really got to get on stage five, ten times a week and do it for five to ten years before you'll start getting good at it. Um, you mentioned writing. Do you remember your first joke that you wrote? You know, the first joke I tried to write that never I never did was around the time I was in high school, Eddie Murphy fan, so obviously you're sexually minded. 
I was going to do it for a, I was going to do it for a um, talent show. And I chickened out because I would write the joke. And then I was like, oh, I don't know if it's good or not. But the joke was about why did God put our genitalia in the most inconvenient place of our body, in the middle of your body? Why didn't he put it on our hands where you could walk around all day and just have sex? And it's funny because that was a silly joke I wrote years ago, never did it. And then years later, there's a comedian named Jeremy Hotz, who's a very funny comedian. He's a, he lives in L.A. He's a Canadian. But yeah. he, I saw him do the joke. And I was like, oh, my God, he does the joke. But I, he never got it from me. I think he just how, came how up was, with it. How was it received that night? He did great. Night? It was fantastic. And I was yeah. like, oh, my God, he's got that joke. So did you have this? Did you have this thought that maybe he jacked your journal or something? You're like, what the hell? It's impossible because my journal was like, you know, in high school. I think I threw it away. So, so it's just so, funny. So right now, if I was a fly in your wall, um, do, do you like where do you write your jokes? Is it on a computer? Is it on a little notepad? Like, do you constantly have like your your eye notes in your in your no? Like, the way I do it is I will put eye notes. It's on my phone. If I have an idea, I'll try and write it out. I have, a page that has a ton of notes. And then I um, I would go to the comic store Laugh Factory and talk about that thing and riff. And then I would uh, develop that joke on stage over the course of a couple of weeks. And then that would build. So currently this riffing I've been doing on my Instagram, there are definitely yeah. topics that I need to take and put on my phone so that when we go back, I can talk about those. But yeah, I write on stage. I don't handwrite. You know, the good thing I, I would assume for like this Instagram or just social media is the fact that that's where you do your trial runs, right? I mean, like, you, you yeah. make, do you go by the views and the engagement? And then you're like, okay, well, this one got good response online. So now I'll do this on, in person or... Listen, I just same? talk... No, I talk about what I feel is funny and I t I'm going to take it on a stage and I'm going to listen for laughs. Right now, hearts will come when you say whatever. Hey, uh, how you doing, Iman? And of course, Iman's going to give you 100 hearts. Mm. Now, is that funny? No, he's just is giving you hearts. Gotcha. I can't judge it. Um, so I would take ideas and I, th that I find funny, take it to the stage, and hopefully build a whole act around it. I love it. Um, do you have writer's block often? And when you do, what do you do about it? I don't have stand-up comedy writer's block because it really stand-up comedy comes from my life and my experience. So it's like... Uh, it's non-stop content. <laughs> non-stop content. You know, you have something happen to you in your life. You're like, oh my God, I got to talk about that and see if I can find the jokes. Um, so I don't have writer's block in that sense. Writer's block comes like when you're trying to write a screenplay or you're trying to write a book or something. Um, and I think you just... The, the, the uh, advice I've heard is to just sit down and write and then it'll it'll come again, you know, it's just write. Again. Don't judge yourself, just write. So speaking of books and writing, you're also a best-selling author. What's the name of the book again? And do you plan on writing another book soon? The book's called I'm Not a Terrorist, but I've played one on TV. Yeah. Uh, people can buy it online. And I don't plan on writing another book yet, maybe a children's book at some point. But um, currently I'm just trying to maybe uh, do a TV show, uh, get my next special out and... Uh, those are kind of the projects. Keep doing my podcasts. Keep doing my daily Instagram lives. And do you do you do, you, you do your Persian word of the day, which is always hilarious. I Persian word of the week. Yeah, people week, follow sorry, me. Yeah. yeah, people follow me at Maz Jobrani. I post my clips from my instant from my podcast. I do my Instagram lives and I do my Persian word of the week, and that's how I'm communicating with people right now. And that's where I'll be posting my uh, live dates once we're back in touring. I love it, man. What is um, what is the ultimate um, legacy that you would like to have, Maz? 
I just want, you know, I want to be able to be good to people and I would love to be able to put out products that I'm proud of. And I would love to collaborate with people and put out products that we can be proud of. So that's really, you know, if I could do that, then I'm happy. I, I did stuff that I'm proud of that hopefully makes me smile and makes other people smile. That's awesome, man. Well, I mean, um, we're, we're reaching the end of the show and I always like to use this opportunity to give my guests um, the opportunity to, to share whatever's in their heart, whatever uh, positive message, whatever suggestions, because, you know, your, your, your fans and your followers, they, they watch this too. So the stage is all yours, my friend. I would just say, you know, I hope people listen to, the, to all the medical authorities saying keep your distance, stay home, um, try to be positive uh, if you can. Uh, I've been trying to exercise. Uh, I've been trying to spend some time playing games with my kids, my wife. Uh, I'm trying to catch up on old movies, read a book, and uh, let's just be good to each other. And and the one thing I've been telling people is after this, I'm going to start, you know, instead of shaking people's hands, I'm going to start doing the namaste. And the key to doing uh, as namaste... As long as there's no gen genitalia right there, but okay, go ahead. Well, no, no genitalia, <laughs> uh, exactly. But the key to doing it is... If someone tries to shake your hand, you can't say, oh, no, no, I don't shake hands because then they're going to feel like you are saying that they're dirty. But if they come to shake your hands and you go, namaste, they're going to think, oh, wow, this guy's very uh, uh, enlightened. He must do yoga. And they're going to think you're peaceful. So trust me, namaste is the way to go. I love it, man. Well, uh, Maz, you've, you've truly made us Iranians uh, and Iranian-Americans proud the last, I don't know how many years it's been. And I hope that you never stop making us laugh because um, the world needs you now more than ever. And I hope you continue to do great stuff, um, not just in the Iranian community, but the global community. Uh, always rooting for you and wish you and Preetha and, and your kids all the best, full of health. And God bless you, man. Namaste. Thank you, my brother. Namaste. <laughs> and genitalia high five, too. Take genitalia care, high five. <laughs> Take Good night, man. Bye. Need some space? Introducing the Space Stick. Perfectly crafted to keep you exactly six feet away from others. Your order will also include the body grip to free up your hands to enjoy that OJ. Order now for just $9.99. All jokes aside, now more than ever, you need to be mindful of your health, look out for your loved ones, and take social distancing seriously like we are right now. With your free time, we encourage you to invest in yourself personally and professionally. And that's what we're here for. As experienced business, branding, and video content specialists, we want to help you create a strong foundation to withstand the storm. And since we're all in this together, we want to offer you a free coaching session. We would love to help everyone, but unfortunately with limited bandwidth, we're only able to select a few businesses. So click on the link below and in our bio for more information and to apply now. Let's unite and conquer. conquer.